afternoon, everybody. It's me, Gerardo Munoz, your 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year, aka Illosopher, aka Illosopher King, aka Big Mowgli, aka Secretary of these streets. And you are listening to Habitually Disruptive, a Tudo production. Hope everybody's doing okay on this uh, Saturday evening. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Y'all ain't doing okay. <clears throat> if you're a teacher, you are probably freaking out a little bit about tomorrow, maybe. Or at least if you're a Denver teacher, because you will have students tomorrow. Some of y'all been at this for a while. Shout out Arizona. Y'all been at this since July or so. And I'm coming at you on a hot sunny day, looking out my window, I see adult league soccer being played right now, kind of jealous, kind of misplaying the game, but it really is what it is. So on today's show, we're going to talk to somebody I've been looking forward to talking to for a really long time. Back earlier this summer, I sat down with Jenny Medrano of Jenny Medrano Coaching, and had a really deep conversation about supporting women of color as well as doing coaching um, that is holistic, that is culturally responsive, and that is the real deal. At the moment, you know, I'm not going to lie, y'all, it's been a little bit of a tough few days. Um, really tough. Uh, my partner decided to leave education, and this is probably the ideal move. The, the field of education and teaching is just super, super tough. I don't have any judgment for any person out there that decides to leave. Um, it's just super tough. And um, the conditions don't seem to be changing. It's sort of interesting. <clears throat> so I remember a while back, um, somebody told a story to me. And I don't remember who told me this story. Um, so bear with me, but maybe you're familiar with it. The story was about a meeting of the birds. So apparently the birds at some point in the history of birds were struggling. They really weren't sure how to get places efficiently. You know that expression, the early bird catches the worm. They weren't catching any worms. In fact, they were uh, having a hard time uh, getting fed and feeding themselves and their families. And so they gathered in this big hall and they decided to talk amongst each other and to figure out how can we be more efficient in our travel? How can we get from point A to point B a little bit more quickly, a little bit more efficiently so that we can live our best lives? It's a very tough question, right? Like we're all trying to live our best lives out here. We're all trying to be ourselves. We're all trying to do the thing that we need to do. And then one bird raised his wing, cleared his throat. <clears throat> and he said, hey, what if we fly? And the other birds looked at each other and they looked at this other bird. And they looked at each other and they said, that's a great idea. We've got these wings. Why don't we make better use of them? You know, this could really change things. Travel for us birds will never, ever, 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 ever be the same 
So they tried it. It was a little scary. They weren't sure about using these beautiful wings that they had for travel. It didn't feel natural to them. But they tried it. And before long, around this big hall where they were meeting, they were just flying around, birds everywhere. They're just flying and they're having joy and they're singing their songs and everything is good. And one of the lead birds who organized this gathering said, yo, we are flying right now. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? We will never, ever, ever do things the same way we did before. We hit this difficult moment. We realized that it was time to fly. Things will never be the same. And the birds cheered. Everybody rejoiced. And then the meeting ended. And they all walked home. Uh, I really feel like... I really feel like that story, which I probably heard at YMCA of the Rockies at some point, resonates with me even today because I feel like in so many of the systems that I interact in, we're just like those birds. We have wings, we wanna fly, but when all is said and done, we still choose to walk. So last week, was it last week? What is time? Two weeks ago, I happened to be in a, wait, let me calculate. No, it was, it was actually last week, a little bit more than a week ago. I was invited to participate in a Zoom conversation among 30 education influencers, which is sort of a funny label, but we'll get to that in a second, <clears throat> to meet with the current United States Secretary of Education, Dr. Miguel Cardona. I, I don't actually know if he has a doctorate. I may have just given Secretary Cardona a title that he does not have, but that's okay. He's a uh, raza, he's a Latinx person, and I will just roll with that. I'll let him have that doctorate. <coughs> Secretary Cardona wanted to meet with a bunch of us and um, and talk a little bit about what was happening and to talk a little bit. Mainly what we were there to talk about was the COVID-19 vaccine and what could we do to use our platforms to really um, encourage folks to take the vaccine. So I was there, there were a lot of familiar faces there. Uh, Rodney Robinson, 2019 National Teacher of the Year was there. Uh, you can see him on the Tudo Teachers podcast. Um, we interviewed him in the springtime and it was just a super fun conversation. Um, my dude, Eric Hale, uh, 2021 Texas Teacher of the Year, who is my favorite person. He's a human torch. Eric is either asleep or he's yelling, and I am so here for it. Uh, my guy, Donnie Piercy, um, Kentucky's 2021 Teacher of the Year, was, was in the meeting. And of course, my main man, Dr. X, <clears throat> Mr. Uh, Jose Vilson of EduColor, my guy. Uh, was also there, and we all kind of offered our perspectives. So I should preface this by saying that this was kind of a difficult moment um, for me. Like uh, my spouse and I decided to go up to this lovely place in Estes Park. Um, it was kind of a late anniversary celebration, 20 years. I have a spouse who has tolerated me and put up with my nonsense. And we decided to celebrate a little bit together. And so we did that. And when I got the invite to be 
in this call, I was like, well, I, I can't do this. We're obviously celebrating our anniversary. And, um, and Claudia is like, uh, no, you need to be there. That's a really important meeting and you should be there. So got the Zoom link, spent about most of the first hour before, or the last hour, is it the last hour or the first hour? I don't know. Spent the hour before my uh, the conversation searching for an internet connection. So first we ask at this place, which we'll name anonymous, because even though you had a beautiful place, that was a little bit messed up that you didn't allow me the chance to get on your Wi-Fi. So we drove around Estes Park looking for an internet connection. We found an internet cafe or a cafe with Wi-Fi, really lovely little cafe, but there's no indoor seating. And so I'm thinking, okay, So just like, so just like in, in a lot of situations, um, you know, just like the neighbors that may or may not connect to my guest Wi-Fi when they have a chance, um, just kidding, they don't. Um, I was like, okay, we can probably sit outside. My computer's pretty good. I could probably get a good signal. And I spent a lot of the time trying to get a signal. And so I was already agitated. So uh, Secretary Cardona left it kind of open and asked us, so what are the things you can do to encourage people to take the vaccine? And I figured my internet connection is pretty shaky. I don't know how much time I have. So I kind of went in. <clears throat> I talked about how there's been no conversation of healing. I discussed how I had spoken to congressional Democrats in here in Colorado about our return to school and shared a story about how um, really our students, our families, and our teachers really just need healing at this point, like healing before we can talk about re-engaging academically. I then talked about the systemic obstacles and talked about how we have just been like that meeting of the birds. We have this opportunity. Some of us found wings during this time and we're being asked to walk back into the school year. This is something that's really hard for me to live with. <clears throat> so of course I'm gonna promote the vaccine, although I gotta shout out um, my sister, Korsha Hassan, um, 2021 Minnesota Teacher of the Year. We had a spirited discussion about what the vaccine means to black communities. And uh, she shared with me some of the hesitations and the anxieties in the Somali community, which th this isn't a community that I have a deep connection to. And, um, and it's given me a philosophical way to look at things. So it is, it is problematic to require people of color to do anything under, um, under the government's sort of encouragement slash coercion. Even, even though I do think everybody needs to get the vaccine who's able, I do think that this allows us to get back to normal, whatever that was. Um, and even though I'm not a big fan of normal, I am a big fan of being back in person with, with kids. Uh, honestly, y'all, my current struggle is, you know, I've been in this game 22 years. 
This is year 23, even though DPS only wants to give me 20. I don't know how many cataclysmic changes I have left in me. Like when I was 23, it was one thing. When I was 25, I taught through 9-11. I taught through the 2008 election of Barack Obama. I taught through the 2016 election of Donald Trump. And then I taught through COVID. There comes a point where, <clears throat> yes, I wanna show up for my community. Yes, I wanna show up for my students. Yes, I wanna show up in a world that is dying for knowledge understanding and intersectional consciousness. But maybe I'm not that guy right now. If you're my principal or um, one of my fellow leaders at my school listening, don't worry, I'm not resigning today. I'll be there tomorrow. I'll be happy to see the students. And I'm gonna do my job. Let's talk about the students for a second. If you're experiencing the Sunday scaries, I don't like to call them that. Because I think when we start coming up with terminology for certain things, we stop thinking critically about those things. So if we just kind of assume that the Sunday scaries are just a thing that everybody deals with, then we stop realizing that re literally this work is often trying to kill us. I have a dear friend who I'm going to miss so much who is headed off to at least a semester of leave to cope with some health issues. And these, these are things that are just so difficult. And when we start cavalierly talking about <clears throat> something like the Sunday scaries, um, we, we trivialize the ways in which this work is really eroding us every single day and every single year. But I will say to all of you who have not had students yet, the students just make it different. You get into the, into the swing of things, you get into the flow with your students, you start building community, you start getting to know them, you start focusing on what's important for them um, this school year, and you just do the best that you can when you're with them. I think that is just a beautiful thing when that happens. So, so speaking of, of uh, healing, I want to tell you a little bit about Jenny Medrano. So Jenny's unique experience as a Latina leader here in the city of Denver has fueled her passion for holistic liberation. With over a decade of experience in education, youth development, and DEI, which stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, I actually just learned this, training. <clears throat> She's equipped hundreds of youth and adults with the tools to uproot systematic oppression, systemic oppression in their personal and professional lives. Currently, she specializes in training and coaching leaders and entrepreneurs to examine the ways that systemic oppression and white supremacy have contributed to toxicity in their mind, body, and spirit. She's especially passionate about supporting women and femmes of color in deep programming their limiting beliefs 
and envisioning and acting upon their dream lifestyles. This is a great conversation. The audio isn't the best. I think we had trouble getting it recorded, but you should be able to catch everything. It sort of sounds like we're talking on the phone, um, which we sort of are talking on a video chat, so it all kind of works. And it's a real fire top, top, a top five. So if you want to learn more about holistic liberation work that she does in community on Facebook and Instagram, you can go to at Jenny Medrano Coaching. Um, that's at J-E-N-N-Y-M-E-D-R-A-N-O-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G. You can also go to her website, JennyMedranoCoaching.com. And if you're interested in supporting Two Dope Productions, especially the Habitually Disruptive Podcast, the flagship podcast, Two Dope Teachers and a Mic, as well as the exit interview with Kevin Adams and Asia Lyons, Head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash two dope teachers, where for as little as $5 a month, you can actually keep this work going. Um, we know that it's been kind of a tough uh, few months for a lot of our patrons, um, and understandably, they've had two positive contributions, which is totally understandable. Um, so all of that is just to say that we could always use some additional support as we navigate these uncertain times. Um, you can also like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you listen to us there, please write us a five-star review. It helps others find our work and helps elevate the platform and stories that we try to do as we attempt to remix the conversation of race, power, and education. So without any further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, drop this interview with Jenny Medrano of Jenny Medrano Coaching. Hope y'all hope y'all understand it. <laughs> oh man, Sunday before school starts. Hope you enjoy it. Stay dope, y'all. All right, we're gonna get right into this. First of all, Jenny Medrano, thank you for being here on Habitually Disruptive. Um, always kind of, you know, had hope for a chance to connect in this way and exchange ideas. I've I've been privileged enough to observe not only the work that you've done with adults and with youth, but also the results of some of the work that you've done with students that we've had in common. So kind of in the words of the philosopher Jay-Z, could have been anywhere in the world, especially in this summer, uh, but you're here with me and I really appreciate it. Um, so I, I want to start by having listeners get to know a little bit of who you are. So how would you describe this, this path that you're on in life so far? Um, and how did like things like your background roots, upbringing, culture, you know, sort of put you on the path towards who you're becoming today? Yeah, I love this question. And it's good to be with you, Gerardo. Likewise, I feel like we keep crossing paths and now we finally get to chat publicly. Yes. <laughs> so, so, oh man, I could be long-winded too. So hopefully I can like make my answers succinct. Where <laughs> I'm at in my life is exactly where I am meant to be. Like I feel it in my bones and it's so yeah. cool because it's, it feels, it feels like it's been a long time coming, but um, I always really knew that I wanted to be a leader. I didn't really click. Well, no, I always knew I wanted to be a disruptive leader hmm. because originally my vision was to disrupt public school system. Yeah. And I, my background's in education. I wanted to disrupt the Chicago public school system and kind of like yeah. turn it on its head to better everyone and the students. Yep. Um, and that kind of like 
took me a weird way to Denver. I moved here in 2013 and I haven't left since. And yeah. I was in this leader urban, quote unquote, urban leader. Quote unquote program. urban. Yep. We know how that language works. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The coding. And mm-hmm. um, that really like opened my eyes to, oh, I really just, I love doing work from the outside. So yes, I yeah. want to help students. And I care about their education, but I feel like I can do so much more impact with my skill set from the outside as a facilitator, as an internship coordinator, all the different things that I did um, way back then. So um, that's kind of like that moved me into several different spaces, one of them being Building Bridges, which is an organization that uh, I literally Googled. Like I was like, who are people that build bridges <laughs> among society? Oh, and that then is I found amazing. It in I love Denver. that. <laughs> yes. And I was like, wait, this exists in Denver? And the mission back then was like, um, uprooting the roots of systemic injustice or blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my God, I get to email them. I emailed them. I was like, I will yep. do anything. How can I work with you? They emailed yeah. me back like three months later about the summer intensive. And then I was a youth facilitator. Yeah. And that just, rocked my world because I and the summer I, intensive like the summer intensive is that it's like eight days in the summer right or something like that where the young leaders come up and they're like they're there they're like in the mountains is, do I have this right yes so the summer intensive is a 10 day uh 10 days program for building bridges youth yep yeah in the, okay. in the mountains so they got you in there they're like hey we got this intensive <laughs> Yeah, and it was exactly what it says. It's an intense experience <laughs> for 10 days. There's no running away. Um, and I really, like, I really thought I knew is this. Can I swear on here? Because Sure, sure. I'll, I'll, <laughs> click the, I'll click the little E on the feed. <laughs> okay, then, okay, then I'm going to talk how I normally talk. Do it. Yeah, be yourself. Be yourself. <laughs> so I was like, I thought I knew my shit when it comes to DEI. I, I didn't even call it DEI. I thought I knew my shit when it comes to anti-racism and racial identity development, cultural awareness. But little did I know just how many dairy privileges and oppressions I actually have. And it was the first time I really started thinking about my physical and um, cognitive abilities, as well yeah. as citizenship status and sexual orientation, all these different things. Yeah. And I quickly realized just how much the generation right, before, uh, right after ours, Gen Z, was just ahead of the curve, like teaching me things left and right. Yeah. Fell in love with the organization and, and yeah. And I think that that, all of that journey has definitely been fueled by my, my roots. My, my dad came to the U S when he was 15 from Mexico mm-hmm. okay. and my mom is a Chicana to her core, grew up in yeah. Aurora, Illinois. And, okay. and so the duo has like definitely, um, taught me to love and accept my Mexican roots. And also I have that connection to the immigrant story of my parents, my ancestors have done so much. So now what can I do to level us all up? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And, and so in, and in Illinois, like, I think, I think a lot of folks out here in Denver aren't aware of this, but there's definitely um, been kind of a groundswell of, Chicanx, you know, Mexican American kind of energy and tradition there. And I think that's incredibly powerful. Um, what what was it that uh so you you initially you had said that you had wanted to go into education as a way to kind of disrupt 
the educational system. Um, when you was that kind of based on your own experiences in school, or was that what you kind of learned about what was happening in schools later on? Both. Both. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I they guess they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, my experience in school was in in the Chicago suburbs. Elgin is uh, suburban, and then I grew up in South Elgin, which is a majority white suburb, actually. And then yeah. I went to high school in Elgin, which is more diverse, lots of Latinx people there. Um, but across the board, uh, it's what really struck me was how how normalized it was that I was ignored and invisible as a Latina. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until eighth grade for me that I had a pivotal experience where my English teacher, everyone has a pivotal experience as a teacher, yep. right? Like yep. I'm sure Absolutely. you have like thousands of those, Mr. <laughs> Munoz. But for me, oh, I thought you were talking grade, about in, like in my own education, I'm like, yeah, there were some that were pivotal in a good way and also not in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I'm saying people have had those moments from you. I've heard it. From for me, I, I think people have uh, had those, both of those <laughs> with me. But no, I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, but I thank you for that, though. <laughs> got, got to take compliments. <laughs> so, yeah, that there's a pivotal moment where my English teacher, Mr. Bassage, was like, why are, wait, why are you in regular classes? And I was like, I don't know. I just have always been in these classes. And he's like, you should be in gifted classes he's like but we can't get you in the gifted program because it's too late so we got to get you in honors at least and then he helped me realize just how smart I actually was and how I'd been missed by tracking and all of that um and I actually applied for the gifted academy at Elgin High School which changed the trajectory because the way that they treat you in the gifted academy you're going places yeah. it's an assumption you're going to college and all these things and and so so uh, my experience in public schools was one where I was just like erased and set to the side um, before a teacher actually saw me. And then my experience in student teaching, especially I was in a, a program called Golden Apple uh, Scholars in Chicago. Yeah. And we, we did a lot of Chicago public school training and teaching that showed me even further just how bureaucratic, how well, the conditions just felt like, how can anybody learn when there's a police officer right, right there? And yeah. you don't get AC in the summer and all yeah. of the things. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a little bit of both. It was kind of seeing how the system was functioning, but also just your own kind of experiences of the of erasure. Um, that, and that I feel like that's um, that's a part of, that's a struggle in the educational process, particularly with uh brown girls with with young brown women um because because it just seems like so so often they're not accustomed to someone valuing their voice or valuing their skills and abilities and you're saying that that was your experience oh for sure yeah yeah definitely yeah no that's that's powerful stuff so we talked we talked a little bit about um about uh Oh, that's the wrong question. Let me come back a little bit. <laughs> okay. Um, so 
want to talk a little bit about the your social media presence and the kind of the dopeness that you bring like daily. Um, so so the affirmations, like you don't know how many times you've like bailed me out of the negative space with some of the affirmations that you post. Um, it, it's extremely helpful. Um, and then and then when you get out your guitar, we talked a little bit about music early on and you start singing. Um, I just think it's really cool. You You allow folks to kind of see a lot of who you are. Um, why do you feel it's valuable to be vulnerable in this way? Like to just kind of put these different elements of yourself out there, your ideas, but also your musical inclination and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. Thank you for saying all those compliments. Um, <laughs> I think that I've definitely viewed social media as an experiment for all mm -hmm. of my life. Yeah. And so I very much try to take it lightly and I, and just see what happens when I show up. And so I think yeah. other people are super into like curating these, these images. And I try my best not to only show one side of myself because from my experience to be as authentically as humanly possible is like the only way to truly connect with people. Because if I show one mask, then it's going to attract or bring, or um, ask someone else to show up with only one mask. But if I show a bunch of different sides of myself, if I could show 15 different angles, that's 15 more angles to be able to connect with someone. And, and sharing like my singing with guitar, that, that, has, that was a difficult thing for me to start doing because I do have a little bent of perfectionism. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I always kind of told myself, I'm like, I'm not that good to be a actual <laughs> singer. Like I just do this for fun. Yeah. And to, to like start sharing that and, and have it not only like people be like, Hey, you're pretty good. But like that touched me. Like, yeah, that is so cool because it, I feel, I feel moved when I tap into music and singing, but to know that other people can too, uh, that's just one more way to connect. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and you are really good. I mean, that's the thing is that you see people drag out their instruments on social media. You're not always sure what to expect. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's both of those and it's always a really good vibe. And, you know, it's interesting because you talk about showing different versions of yourself, different kind of, um, you know, sort of sides to who you are. Um, and so that is really interesting because with a lot of folks on social media, you do see kind of one version of, of what the person is, and that can be a little bit alienating. And yet all that stuff makes you kind of who you are. I, I love the piece that you said about the, it's like social media is an experiment. It's not that serious. Like, so like treat it lightheartedly and, and treat it that way. I think that's really cool. So here's an example folks of one of the, um, one of the uh, affirmations, um, this An this uh, Anne Lamott quote that you posted a while back, uh, lighthouses don't go running all over an island looking for boats to save. They just stand there shining. And uh, wh what is that? Like, I have my own kind of analysis, but what what does that one say to you? Oh, I love that one when I saw it. I, I feel like it gets to the to the essence of it's your your inner light, your inner power, your inner aura that, um, that has the power. And, and I feel like I am a lighthouse in the, in the, the kind of pure authentic energy I want to present to the world. 
And I yeah. feel like the more that I chase and and try to force myself on people or or try to force my ideas, the more that's repelling. Yeah. So to me, it just means like your greatest power is allowing people, opportunities, things to come to you versus chasing and trying to force them. Yeah. And of course, the more you chase, the more that when you catch up with the target, you're out of breath, right? And you can't actually show up as your as your true self as a and I that that's such a great thing. Like like it's it's so obvious, right? Like boats seek the lighthouse, not the other way around. And you know, if somebody doesn't see your light, then maybe they're not really looking for you, you know. That's yeah. true. Yeah, and so so many of those things are just really uh it's, it's just really great to sort of look at those because I get these kind of reminders every now and then. And especially in these kind of times when so many folks are trying to do new things, um, you know, it can, it can be easy to forget that you're enough and forget that what you bring is actually what's valuable um, and what's authentic for you. So um, we will get yeah, to that. And I, yeah. Now well, you go ahead, you go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to add that um, I I learn from the best, you know, like there's so many people that I look up to with social, the way I present myself on social media is an experiment, but also it's an amalgamation of all these different presences that I love yeah. um, that like they show up authentically and unapologetically and it's inspired me, especially women of color, women and friends of color who just show up and say whatever the fuck they want and wear whatever the fuck they want. And they're just yep. loud and big and beautiful. And that makes me want to show up more. Yeah. And I, th and I think that's something that's really coming from folks like you kind of doing this work is, is that there, there is a value on showing up as who you are and it, it, it's such a powerful thing to start seeing. And, you know, I, I find myself as a, as a kind of like middle Xer, you know, sort of torn between this idea that there's a, there's an established way to behave. There's an established way to dress and there's an established yeah. way to speak and all this other kind of stuff versus, yeah, but where's that gotten us as a society? Exactly. Where's that, where that gotten communities of color? Where has that gotten LGBTQIA folks? Where where has it gotten us like having this kind of established way of doing things? And what would happen if everyone just was their authentic self? Like not not the posturing self, not, you know, the the self that is, you know, trying to undermine, but just who they are. Um, I, th I think it's such a powerful thing. Uh, that it makes me think of like the concept of professionalism and mm, I feel yeah. like professionalism quote unquote is like so rooted in white supremacy culture absolutely and so I think one of the most liberating things about starting my own business which I know we're going to get to but oh yeah being able to throw fucking professionalism out the window as much That's as right. I can and I've been wanting to do that for forever but there was always some kind of umbrella over me that yeah. I was representing. Now I feel like the more I'm doing it, the more people are into it. And it's yeah. my business, but yeah. it's working for me to be quote unquote unprofessional. So right. that's just a side note. No, I think that's absolutely right. And actually that's something that's been on my mind a lot lately because of what we are learning. So I, you know, I am working in, in a school and inside of this educational system. Um, 
And what we're learning about professionalism ratings, Denver Public Schools has professionalism ratings for teachers and, mm-hmm. and the, you know, the data hasn't been released. Um, of course it hasn't, right? Um, but it strongly suggests that uh, black teachers in particular and black and brown teachers more generally are harmed by professionalism ratings that when you can't get us in um, kind of the traditional means where you can get us, you can always get us with professionalism because we can always be described as not being tactful or not being diplomatic when we disagree with things and that kind of thing without understanding that we're talking about, frequently we're talking about things like racism and oppressive systems. And those are things we take very personally. And so that that piece really does resonate with me because professionalism is code for whiteness. It's it's how you how you can engage in whiteness. And, you know, I you know, there are those listening. They'll be like, dude, what are you complaining about? You've had this great year. People like you've gotten the respect of a lot of folks. And that's true. But I also know that in my own path, my own proximity to whiteness has sort of shielded me from a lot of things that others have had to endure and it took me a really long time to own that and and to realize no it's not because I'm more talented or smarter or just you know I'm just like I'm just exceptional right um it it's it's because I've been able to perform whiteness when needed where others it doesn't come as naturally I can I just say I absolutely hate that y'all have to have have to be held to professional standards yeah that makes me irate yeah yeah it's it's terrible (laughs) it it is it's really bad yeah you know especially like what you said about how diplomatic you are like oh that is just if that is not like gatekeeping and like oh yeah i hate it and to and you know I don't like to give my school district a ton of credit, but to their credit, um, there is a working group, and the rumor is that the professional rate professionalism ratings will be going away. But we will see, we will see if they do that, um, because I think yeah. that's a a good first step. Um, so I I first experienced you um, through building bridges, and um, you've kind of alluded to this already a little bit, like kind of why that experience was so important for you but as we kind of like start bridging uh if you will bridging um this kind of (laughs) step between um you know you working for that organization to striking out on your own how much of a role did building bridges play in you being ready to take that step forward like 90%, 99% 90%, 99% okay. of the reason, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like a huge role. And, and it's not because, like, I love building bridges, but don't yeah. get it twisted. It wasn't this story of like, this organization inspired me to be the best I could be because of the culture of the organization. It wasn't that. Mm-hmm. It was because of the challenge that was presented to me within, within the organization and the way I saw myself rise up to it and be successful in it okay and i i entered building bridges not quite knowing i wanted to start a business did the youth program and then i really like i had my own experience of visioning and realizing man i really want to be an entrepreneur i really want to start my own business problem is i don't know the first thing and i have absolutely no desire to go to business school i don't want to go back to school it is not fun for me yeah and so what if 
what gosh, if especially business I... schools right like business schools in oh like the area no that's like toxic <laughs> the only reason should i say this out loud i um I might want to go to business. You can, you can say it. You can say it. And then you're like, if you're like, dang, I shouldn't have said that. I can edit it out. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well. Um, but up to you. You stay in your, stay, stay, with, stay with what feels safe for you. <laughs> okay. I'll just stick with what I said earlier. So yeah, right, sounds good. Sounds in good. General, school in general is, is not the place I want to be right now. Um, so I was like, well, it would be really cool to, to have a practice round mm -hmm. with uh, within an organization of starting a business yeah. and I, after doing the youth program i was just filled with so much inspiration and energy of like this work has to be brought to adults like i was literally transformed alongside them like i didn't do yeah. much at all other than facilitate these containers of learning and inspiration and other yeah. adults need to experience this kind of facilitation and this kind of uh, material and so um, the organization, a couple of people that were there, they started experimenting with a program called SHIFT that was yep. not transformed for youth, but with, for adults. And we okay. framed it as like team building to begin right. with, which is a yeah. lie because we were very much about systemic oppression and dismantling that. So <laughs> as a, a team, mess. as a team, we will, <laughs> we will dismantle systems of oppression and we're just going to oh get goodness. along a lot better once we dismantle those. <laughs> Yes. And like, you can imagine I was brought in as like a contract facilitator in the first round of shift. Uh, imagine like myself and another white facilitator being brought into different organizations and nonprofits that want team building. Right. And us coming with some of the very workshops that we've done with you all. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's we thought we thought we were just going to do a human knot and be done what? with it. <laughs> Why are you asking me to talk about whiteness? I don't even see myself as white. I don't, and we're I don't like, even know what, what that is. Yeah, like <laughs> we just had this moment of like, what the hell are we doing here? The only way yeah. we're going to work with organizations is they know that we are unapologetically against systemic oppression. Racism exists. We're not arguing yeah. and all these different things. So, so my time at Building Bridges, I kind of pitched to them actually to hire me. Um, that's how passionate I was about the idea of expanding the shift program. Right. And I told them, I, I can make this program generate revenue for the nonprofit and we, and it'll go back to the youth. So why not? Yeah. And I just have this vision that this could really take off. So that yeah. was in 2017, 2018. Oh. And then this has been a little while coming. It has. And that experience taught me building the shift program and, and there's two branches there's a community training that are like groundwork liberated uprooted these different yep. anti-racism and uh, liberation trainings yep. and then there's the the dei development within organizations schools and businesses building that up was so hard uh, but the hardest part was getting over my own limiting beliefs and internalized racism and sexism wow. that was wow. that was the hard, hardest part the business wow. part was easy. The business part was easy. And I wish someone would tell me that it wasn't as hard as people make it out to be or, yeah. or at least see the knack for business that I have. Yeah. And it, and so like I met a couple of coaches, one of them was this white coach named Nate. And he was like, what? You're, you're really good at this. 
already. <laughs> and like those kind of things started helping me believe in myself. And when I started envisioning these training pipelines and this curriculum and it actually worked and it started supporting people and truly helping their transformation. Yeah. Um, by now, now that I've transitioned into my own business, like my confidence levels are just much higher. My belief wow. that like, that I can do this and, and that being a Latina is going to make me an even better entrepreneur. Like that yeah. wasn't there before. Yeah. Ugh, that, that's so deep. No, I, um, you know, I think at, in communities of color and I, you know, I, I think, I think if privilege is a bingo card, I think I win um, because, you know, I, I'm, you know, male cis hetero identifying um, and, you know, have an educated um, white parent and that kind of thing. But, you know, just to just to put a pin in how deeply that stuff runs, like, I think I didn't start getting creative with who I was and like owning it until I passed the age of 40. Um, because there, that's, it's that same thing that you talk about. It's like the only limitation I had was my sense of confidence, mm -hmm. um, the feeling I can't do this stuff. And, um, and so just like, and I can, and I can, I can, I can sense the confidence just coming off of you. And it's like, it's really, it's really powerful because, you know, it's like you do it and then people start affirming that and saying, you're, you're really good at this. And it just makes a whole new world. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and that's why I posted that affirmation recently on my Instagram. I am an entrepreneur for the ages. That's right. Like that's that right. one, that one really has changed the game for me. Yeah, tell me about I, that one. I, I was really interested in that one. I love how it comes off the tongue, but yeah, tell me, tell me what was in your mind with that one. It it was it was kind of birthed like during the pandemic when I started dreaming of. When I, when I saw how our training took off, especially um, last summer, when all of a sudden everybody and their mother wanted anti-racism training, yep, right? Yep, and like, yep, we, yep. we happened to have some. Um, yep. <laughs> when I saw that take off and I had the feeling of a training getting sold out time, like month after month, I started thinking, what if I did, I, I think I could do this on a bigger scale. And, and what if I just don't create a business for the sake of a, a business right. and, um, and transforming those people. Well, what if part of my life goal is to be an entrepreneur that sets the stage for how business is done in the future? I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So when I say entrepreneur for the ages, I mean, um, <laughs> this is kind of a weird example, but kind of <laughs> like a Steve Jobs, but like uh, a healthy, liberate, <laughs> liberated, non-cis-het white Kind yes of, kind of entrepreneur that everybody looks to is like oh they created a blueprint and, and they they change things and hopefully yeah. mine is towards liberation versus towards yeah. Opp oppression yeah well I'm, I'm here for it like any any sort of entrepreneurship that doesn't play into white supremacist uh capitalist patriarchy is good in, in my book um yeah. so that's what that meant i was i was it was interesting because i don't I don't always catch on to like idioms. Like I didn't know necessarily what the for the ages sort of means. And so I'm glad I, I'm glad I had you to explain it because it is, it, that is really interesting because it's one thing 
like I think I think it's a talent to respond to the needs that are in your community and the needs that are around you. Um, but if you really are talking about liberation, it sounds like what you're talking about. How's you, how do you go from uh, being a player into the in the game to kind of like dictating how the game is going to be played and, exactly. and what the what the rules are going to be? Um, that's that's very hip hop of you, by the way. I don't know how you feel about hip hop, <laughs> but it's very hip hop. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna dictate this game. Good. All right. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it's like, and also also hip hop is problematic, but it's like the world. What were you gonna say? <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say that tied to, I'm an entrepreneur for the ages. Like, how am I gonna do that? How do I want to change the game? It's holistic liberation, and it's a phrase that's been. Um, really sitting with me recently, which is systemic renewal. Yeah. I feel like we talk about systemic, systemic change. Renewal. We talk about systemic yep. justice. We talk about systemic revolution. And I'm about all that, but like yep. I want to breathe new life into ways systems are done. Yeah. And not, I don't want to wait 500 yeah. or 5,000 years to yeah. completely transform. I think we could start transforming and breathing new life into systems now, today. Absolutely. That yeah, I was in a webinar this morning with uh, Dr. Bettina Love um, of the Abolitionist Teaching Network. She's got her great book. Uh, we need to do. We want to do more than just survive. Um, and and so as you talk about this, about this renewal process, she was talking about the same thing that we tear down as we build up. That it's not tear down then build up but you actually do it at the same time that you dismantle yeah. these oppressive systems through your disruptive actions is that kind of what you're what you're looking at there yeah I like that and it it's cool to get those confirmations that I'm not I'm not thinking this out of nowhere like I feel like so many of our ancestors are speaking to us all at the same time and like yeah. there's an opening in the awakening in our consciousness because I keep hearing from other people just the same messages or downloads I feel like I yeah. get out of nowhere yeah the other thing she said that I thought was really powerful that I think you would you would uh, vibe with is um we gonna be all right and that ain't all right right so the yeah, idea being enough. that we're not actually just trying to be all right like we're trying to thrive and you know I hear that in in what you're saying and um, to put it another way uh like Jay-Z said I'm not a businessman I'm a business man <laughs> so I love it. Oh, so maybe, I wanna, yep. So maybe that's you, right? That you're not just trying to be a business person. You are trying to be a business. It's, like you are trying to do it the way it is, you know, and and is as a as kind of a a liberatory practice. Totally. Sweet. Yeah. Business doesn't that 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 um separation and I can't think of the word like categorization, categorization and duality like that's all the old way that's all uh, colonizing ways like how do we integrate and everything flows into each other the business doesn't have to be my job it's me right. as well right yeah I mean that's that that's kind of that's the the big accomplishment of capitalism right was to alienate um, our beings from our labor right that I mean this is what Marx writes about about how when the people became sort of when their connection to their labor was severed that's when we started to become alienated from what it meant to be human and so work was separate from our existence in in a negative way right you just kind of leave it and you know do that kind of that reification you become a device in a larger piece of machinery instead of being a spirit that's in a constant state of renewal um i love it 
we are going to take our first break. Um, and uh, when we come back, very excited to hear about this um, this idea of holistic liberation and, uh, you know, sort of what is kind of coming next for you. Stay with us on Habitually Disruptive. What's up, people? Um, I am back. I'm Gerardo Munoz. I'm here talking to Jenny Medrano of Jenny Medrano Coaching. Um, and we've just been sort of talking about this transition from being a business person to just being a business. Um, so, Jenny, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, this has been fun. Good. I'm glad. Awesome. So, um, so you started to talk a little bit about your work in the previous organization, Building Bridges. I want to comment a little bit on the shift work because I was fortunate enough to be in a uh, in a in a BIPOC sort of group that you and some of your colleague colleagues uh, from Building Bridges uh, were facilitating. And I want to tell you one thing that I'm still doing, and I think you and I talked about this before, um, but the thing I'm still doing that you ask of your participants is I'm using I statements. Um, and so many of us learned about the I statements when we were in like high school and that kind of thing. But I've discovered so much power in my ability to just say, this has been my experience. So I feel this way. And so, so this is me, this is you quizzing me. So I'm going to tell you what I got out of it. And you can tell me if this is what I should have gotten out of it. <laughs> cause, okay, cause, well, cause so I, 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 I hear you using I statements, but yeah, I was not a very good student. And so I sometimes didn't get the right lesson from things. So I'm going to need you to check me on this. So um, so what I've discovered okay. about why making these I statements is so important is that it is important to speak to my own experience. And what that does is it prevents, A, the listener from painting all of us in a perceived demographic group or whatever it is with a broad brush. And it also requires me to own things, right? That you know, um, that maybe I'm a little hesitant to own. I, I sometimes feel like when we make these sweeping generalizations, well, you know, people are just like this, then yeah. we don't get to the heart of things where it can be more powerful if I say something like, yeah, I have a tendency to X, Y, Z. And I feel like that is ownership for me. So am, am I getting the lesson right? You know, or, or do I need to go back to school? <laughs> Um, you totally failed. No, I'm just kidding. Dang, I'm gonna have oh. to study more. What could be worse? <laughs> no, you did really, really well. Um, those are yeah. definitely two points that we explain a lot. There's one third point, but I'm just not sure if if we brought it up or not. Um, so yes, assuming responsibility for what you're saying too definitely helps prevent tokenization. Like I'm not speaking for all Latinx people, but this is how I feel yep. as a Latina. Yep. And then three is it creates a doorway for empathy. So rather than me just, Yo, saying, you know, most, okay. most Latinx people are missed in public schools. That's one yeah. thing versus me saying in school, I felt erased I and missed. invisible. Damn. 
And I feel like a lot of that was because I was a Latina, but I just connected to a whole group of people there who also felt erased and invisible. Doorway to empathy. Okay. I, I love it. No, that's, that's brilliant. All right, cool. So two out of three, that's not too bad. Right. And, and I will say <laughs> you, you, you probably did say it. I don't do well on, on zoom, like training sessions. Like it, it, it was really, um, they're always really difficult, but all right, cool. So let, let's get into it then. Um, so the coaching business, um, where you're, where you're working in this area of holistic liberation, um, what was your inspiration to do that? You, you talked about how this was always sort of, you, you spent a few years really kind of exploring this and really knowing this is kind of the direction I want to go in, but what was it that made you take that final leap to say, no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this up now? Yeah. So this business has been a long time coming. And I think I was doing the duality thing, like the white, white supremacy was working in my life and keeping different areas of my life separated. And two of those areas are um, the awakening arena of my life and my spirituality, especially uh, manifestation and visioning. Yeah. And then the other arena is the DEI world, um, dismantling systemic oppression and white supremacy. Yeah. So uh, part of my difficulty was I kept leaning one way or the other. And I thought, well, people who are doing anti-racism work aren't going to want to hear my awakening stuff. Hmm. And people <laughs> in the awakening world don't care about fucking racism. Like no one's saying anything. Everyone's like, yeah. just, just manifest your life away in law of attraction and everything's great. <laughs> and so what really pushed me was this the past two years, like in the pandemic, that really pushed me, as well as I know a lot of other people, to yeah. um, get clearer about who I am, how I show up in the world, what I value. And I realized that I exist at the intersection of awakening and liberation. And I didn't even have that word yeah. of liberation until this past year, because we started doing a lot of race-based affinity groups. And I just to be in so many BIPOC specific spaces was incredible. It just yeah. it opened my eyes. And then I found that a lot of times being in those spaces, it was, it was more normal for people to bring in their spirituality or their beliefs or practices. Like people were talking about ancestors, people were talking about uh, manifestations and different things that I loved. Yeah. So when I figured that out and that I can do both in my business, mm -hmm. the rest was easy. Uh, wow. in terms of like okay yeah I could do this but I, I hit a hang up this year because I knew I could feel it in my soul that it was time to move out of building bridges like I was I wanted yeah. to expand beyond that yep. but I was stuck on the money piece and I was yeah. like how am I going to do this I don't have six months savings right. what do who do I think I am so so I was convinced that I had to do a DEI job in a corporation and those, those offers were coming to me. Sure. Uh, but I was like, this is the only way that I'm going to save five to $10,000 to do this. Um, yeah. It wasn't until my dad, my, my lovely father, my hardworking <laughs> father yes. told me like, no, Miha, like, how about I give you a loan? And then you could wow. start it sooner. And he, I cried. I was like, that. one, I just didn't expect he's always been so practical 
He's yeah, always sure. been kind of scared. And so yeah. I, I told him my, my plan thinking that he was going to be like, yep, go full force into that tech company and, and, and make money and have yeah. benefits. Yep. And then, but no, he was like, now nah, take the risk and I'll support you. And I was like, ah, uh, I have no excuses. Yeah, yep, that's right. That's right. <laughs> No, that so so it was very much a like an awakening, and I love the phrase um, "existing at, at at the intersection of awakening and liberation." Um, the so the the title, like the the way that you describe yourself and your work, is like dope. <laughs> like it's just cool. Um, so uh, you are a holistic liberation coach and you do the DEI diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, consulting. So what kind of, so I'm, I know what DEI, DEI tends to be, but talk to me a little bit about this idea of holistic liberation and what is it that, um, what is it that makes what you do kind of unique and kind of needed right now? Yeah. So liberation is kind of becoming a hot buzzword right yep. i feel like a, a lot of people are using that word now um and i just i wanted to be clear that i'm not just talking about liberation when it comes to like systemic change or liberation yeah. when it comes to like getting raises and and work related things but right. when i say holistic liberation i mean holistic liberation of the mind body and spirit from systemic oppression so yeah. systemic oppression white supremacy has done a number to all parts of ourselves it's toxic it's yeah. made us sick it's made us weak it's made us surviving rather than thriving and my mission is to um, support people and and getting inspiration for their lives again having vision i have this technique called vision mapping that i want to do with all people cool. who do holistic liberation there start to really strategically map out some action steps like what needs to happen health-wise career-wise relationship-wise spirituality-wise and hobbies yeah. for me to be thriving so wow. holistic liberation is is our wellness and then, and yeah. it's going to take self-care and community care yeah it's, it's kind of rejecting that whole notion of you just need to sacrifice and suffer and then you get what you want it's more about how to how do we ensure that we are that we are taking care of our whole selves and kind of liberating our whole selves is is that is that accurate Totally. And it's like, uh, I thought about it earlier today when I was talking with the coach. Um, I want to help people focus on the areas of the, their life that they can start to change and feel more freedom in uh, rather than waiting until the government decides to give that to them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because we're going to be waiting forever. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And I, and I think that this is really like when you start talking about empowerment and healing from the grassroots i think i think it's as you describe it that this is this is how it happens um what type of work have you done so far and also you going full kind of full time into this like you just did this right you just jumped in and said this is it i am self-employed i'm doing my thing how does that feel 
Oh, it feels so wild. Like, <laughs> I feel like I just literally just like took a huge leap. And most people are like, let me have a ramp or let me get a part-time job. And I've tried to do that before. And I just end up filling my life with a bunch of part-time jobs and yeah. not being able to do the business that I want to do. So yep. this time around, I'm like, come June 1st, 2021, that's yep. going to be my last day at my current full-time job. And yep. I will be, I will take a quick break. I went to California and then um, yesterday was my first time as a full-time solopreneur. And no. it feels, I can't, it feels like, it feels unreal. I'm just wow. like, am I really my own boss? Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't even have a way to think about that. <laughs> like, I don't even know what really that looks like. But, but I mean, you you've been doing the work and you've been kind of getting into it. Um, so, what what type of where do you find what spaces do you find yourself working in uh, the most? J just like who is it that you're hearing from? Um, what is it that they're asking you to do? You you made reference earlier to how there's a lot of there's a lot of desire for DEI work um, at the corporate level, um, but where is it that you're sort of seeing um, your skills kind of in demand? Um, in de I don't know if it's in demand yet. I tend to create and shape businesses for a need that I see before maybe people see that there's a need. Uh, okay, okay, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, oh, yeah. Because when I started the shift program and we were doing anti-racism and like uprooting white supremacy and all these things, like people were still like, that's a lot. Like maybe you call it the dominant culture and not white supremacy <laughs> right, culture. Now right. all of a sudden everyone's talking about it. About the dominant So I try culture, to yeah. like, yeah, like I, I try to anticipate the need and, cre and help create a demand. Yeah. And what I'm going after is um, the need that is coming up from all this quote unquote DEI development that's happening. Some of it's legit and real and deep like building bridges, sure. others not so much. Yep. Um, but because that is happening and, and systems and leaders are actually being held accountable to, to do better and make their cultures healthier, there's kind of this, this um, unintended consequence. My sociology yeah. professor used to always say, unintended yeah, yeah. consequences always come. And one of those is that BIPOC have an additional burden yeah. on us yep. especially women and femmes of color especially i see yeah. time and time again in these workplaces the ceo the ed decides oh we want to do this dei training isn't it great but guess who's left with the all of the broken pieces of white fragility after the trainers leave and what and form does that take is that is, is, what what form does that take? Because I think I know what you're talking about, but I feel like I I want to I want to like know for sure. So let me like spell it out as as uh, practical as I can be. Yeah, yeah. One way I see is uh, there is like who's tasked with the action moving forward and to keep this work going. A lot of times these DEI committees are are require BIPOC to show up and do an additional thing yep. in strategic planning. That's one way. And another way is literally like the discomfort that so many white folks feel from these trainings brings up triggers. It brings up heightened white fragility yeah. and just kind of this 
what I have observed is white people being like, well, I can't do anything right anymore. And I'm afraid to say anything. And so they're like coming, they're like either um, flocking to BIPOC and be like, can I say this? Is this okay? Or like putting that burden on them or they're just acting like assholes because yeah because they're so uncomfortable with being held accountable for the white privilege yeah yeah that was okay so that yep definitely um i've seen that happen in it and it kind of it reminds me of folks you know when i've been in meetings in the past where we where we talk about issues of racism and you know systems of oppression and i'll say things and folks will come up to me privately and say hey what you said i totally totally agree i'm like i mean you could you could say it with your chest like you could you could you you could say it publicly um instead of letting me kind of get isolated and then kind of like making sure you're okay with me because that emotional labor that i think people like bipoc folks in general but i i agree with you but bipoc women um tend to disproportionately carry that burden of healing the burden of i need you to fix my feelings right now so that i don't feel so bad about myself and then the burden of well you wanted this so why don't you run it and um and that that is that's definitely a trend that not only i've experienced but i've seen that i've heard other folks describe as well yeah and one one limiting belief of internalized racism and sexism that I've seen it manifest as, especially as I've done a lot of work of deprogramming internalized racism, is I I need to be the caretaker. Yeah. I especially see that in Black, Latinx, and Indigenous women. Yeah. This ingrained belief that we need to caretake, and we end up doing it subconsciously, and then white people feed off of it, and men, men yeah. of all races feed off yeah. of it, and yep. then it's like we just get into these positions of like wait, why am I doing all these things? Oh, it's because I feel like I need to keep the group together and make sure everyone's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely got me reflecting kind of on, on some of my own behaviors and experiences because, you know, to hear it named as you named it, I think is, is profound and, and has some real implications for like so many of us, particularly uh, those of us, you know, who identify as, as men and men of color. So I thank you for that. Um, so I know I I've had a lot of conversations with folks who have kind of thought about, and maybe even low key dreamed about doing what it is that you're doing. If you had a chance to sit with these people, um, who, you know, are on the fence, they're hesitant. They've got this dream. They've got this thing they want to do, but they're kind of talking themselves out of it. Um, what advice do you have for these individuals? And these are individuals like who want to fuse their their social consciousness with a desire to work independently and to even sort of engage in entrepreneurial behavior as it's been kind of like packaged. Uh, what are you saying to these individuals? Oh my goodness. First thing I would say, and is you you can do it. You can do it. Like I feel so uh, new in the entrepreneur business and also like a little bit seasoned after yeah. my experience with building bridges. Yep. And, and I just feel like I wish more people would just say that simple and punto. you can do it. Yeah. No disclaimers. No, but make sure you do this. 
but blah, 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 all those right. things built up so much fear in me because most people would be like, yeah, I could see you doing that. Just make sure you do A, B, and C, D, E, F, T. And everybody has a formula. And yep. most of the formulas are also based on capitalism and the old way of doing things. Yeah. So you're probably going to have to think outside of the box and you're probably going to have to uh, recreate a lot of things anyway. So why you could do it. That's one thing. Another yep. thing is that I would say that healing is so key. It's so central. And that's not talked about enough. I feel like I can only go as far as an entrepreneur as I heal. Mm, and that's because only as far as the way you that heal. This, yeah, because I feel like the way that uh, creating your own revenue source, especially as a BIPOC person, uh, challenges all of the fears and scarcity and and potential trauma like it that's so intense it's palpable some of the nights i've had anxiety of like can i really do this what happens if i don't make enough is this really the right idea that that i should i have just stayed with my old job yeah yeah so healing plays such a critical rule because role because um in those moments i i need to practice my breathing i i need to see check in with my inner child and and see what's coming up from past trauma and all those things. And, and that takes, that takes focused energy. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all listening. Yeah. Make sure you, make (laughs) sure you get that. Make sure you take in notes and, and, you know, feel free to go back two minutes and just, and get the whole spiel again. Um, Because what you're saying is that the only, the only way you can um, you can really succeed is by is by doing it the way that is true to you and that that centers your healing through these processes. Yeah, and there's one more thing that I want to say before I forget it, and Great. that is that um, if you're if you find yourself like going back and forth with should I should I be a full time entrepreneur or not should I start my own business or not like you're not crazy the system was designed to make to be a mindfuck when it comes to you being an entrepreneur like if you're BIPOC you're not the right person to be yeah you're not the person that fits the mold and that's on purpose people want people have conditioned us to believe that we're supposed to have a nine-to-five and we're supposed to have a supervisor to the point where I have to work on deconditioning the belief that I need to run my ideas by some white person Wow. Already. Yeah. And, and that's so deep. And so there's that. And like, um, if you find yourself questioning, it, it's because that's how it was designed. And, but when you actually figure it out, it's kind of like a yarn ball. Like I'm realizing there's no way I'm going to know everything I need to do to start a business in the that's first right. month. Yep. But one thing, setting up a business account, leads to another thing, getting a tax ID number, leads to another thing, paying my taxes quarterly. It just, I only know as much as I need to know. And then I learn more. If there's a process there, there's a process that you are engaging in. And as you need to become familiar with pieces, you will become familiar with those pieces. It's not like you learn it all and then start a business. Um, It's, it's kind of like you, you, you sort of, you find solutions to the challenges that present themselves and you fill the gaps in your knowledge um, as needed. Um, so, so kind of like trust the process, right? <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't take like, it doesn't take like major genius or like, I feel like the people pitch entrepreneurs, they have to, you have to be a certain type. And if you're not a go-getter, if you're not 
an amazing problem solver. If you're not a, a, a workaholic, it's not for you. But I'm, yeah. I'm maybe one of those three. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, don't like, I like to work smarter, not harder. I'm yeah, not for to, real. Like, work myself into the ground. And, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's not as hard as I imagined um, in yeah. terms of like getting things rolling. Yeah. All right. Um, hopefully folks are motivated. I think this is such a great way and in such a different framework for um, for considering being your own boss and kind of moving into that. Um, Jenny, you ready for some silly questions? Yeah. All right, we'll do, we'll do a couple of silly questions. We have a few minutes left. Uh, so my favorite one to do, and then after this, we'll have you plug um, all of all of the things that you're doing and how people can find you um, because, you know, definitely want to connect you to folks who are like-minded for you. So big one right here. So you said, you said that you are a hip hop head, which I love, but this question, it doesn't have to be limited to that. Uh, top five performing artists, rappers, or entertainers. Do you have a top five? It doesn't have to be a hierarchy. It doesn't have to be all time set in stone. This is my list. It can just be like in the moment. It can just be the, the mood that you have, like whatever. Yeah, I, I thought about this one ahead of time because I knew I was like, oh my gosh, limited <laughs> to five is going to yep. be hard. And let me just stick with rappers. All right. And like, I'm like, oh, damn it. My answer is so basic, but I can't <laughs> lie. Like I, if you look at my Spotify, this is what it shows. Um, okay. Yeah. Spotify don't lie. Spotify so, don't number lie. One, it does, <laughs> that Spotify annual review really reveals a lot of things. That's um, right. <laughs> so number one, obviously King Kendrick. I just, yeah. Albums. Oh my goodness. Like uh, he's just on another level. Uh, yeah. Number two, would be uh drake uh, okay i just love i love his rap um then three we got jake cole okay um four is oh controversial kanye uh -oh. west Con oh easy <laughs> yep. and then five Nicki minaj all right all right that that's a good list that that's and, and i kind of see that sort of that transcendent quality that i think you're aspiring towards that it's that is bigger than the game i feel like all of the like and even with with kanye you know um i i have my opinions but also you, you can't deny the the impact on the last decade of of hip-hop music at least you know you you just totally. can't yeah uh -uh. yeah yeah um I love it. I love it. So, uh, so let's, let's get into an, another, so we'll do these ones quickly and, and see kind of what you come up with. Okay. Um, hunter or gatherer? <laughs> gatherer, but not because it's not just because of feminization, but I, but okay. because I really love to nurture, I, I, I am a creator of containers for inspiration and learning. Dope. Oh, that's a good answer. That's a real good answer. Yeah, um, that was a yeah, that came from another meeting. So I had that one ready. Yeah. <laughs> you had it ready. You had it ready. Yeah, I identify I identify kind of as gatherer actually, um, because I, you know, just like in this conversation, I love just, you know, hearing what people have to say and just and just learning from them. And and I think that's like kind of gatherer of of understanding, I think. Um 
you know, okay. So let's say that you finish this meeting, somebody gives you an elephant, you can't give it away, you can't sell it. What are you doing with your new elephant? Oh my God, I love that question. I was like, what? This is so random. Um, <laughs> but yes, um, so if I'm given an ele elephant, uh, chances are I'm going to fall in love with it because I am an animal person. Yes. So I imagine that I would take care of the elephant and then it would become the fam our family's elephant. There you go, it would be the family our elephant. elephant. And we would, just, we would just figure out a way that it has the most space and, and, um, and it could live its best life. And right, I yeah. probably would like <laughs> fall in love with it to the point where I really start to research elephant like rights and all that because I don't yes. know much about it. So yes. then I'd probably start an elephant foundation because that's just how things work for me. Yep. Yep. It's like, how do we, how do, and you know, not, not to trivialize things like poaching and that kind of thing, but like, how, how do we ensure that this elephant is doing more than just surviving? Like we want this elephant to thrive. Yeah, you know. holistic liberation for people and animals. For and for everyone. pachyderms. And for pachyderms. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely. And, and I, you know, for me, I just feel like I would take it everywhere. I would be like, yo, what's up? I'm Gerardo and this is my, I would probably name my elephant after a rapper. Like, I'd be like, this is big, but like real big pun right here. Like, this is big pun, my <laughs> elephant. And uh, and I feel like I would just take it everywhere and we'd be friends. Um, I love it. I love, I love your answer. Um, all right, last one. <laughs> A fictional character that you most identify with. Now, this can be in a book, a TV show, a movie, a song, a painting. And why is it do you identify with this fictional character? Okay, so I also thought about this one. This is hard. Oh, nice. Um, I, I think about Disney movies. I think about the Disney movie Anastasia. Okay. And I feel like I really relate to Anastasia because I've kind of had that orphan mentality. Uh, I'm not an orphan. Mm. I, I still have my dad present, um, yeah, yeah. but there, but I did have kind of like a, a fighter experience as a young person. And okay. um, Anastasia was very, she is a very dramatic character. She's very nostalgic. And I, I kind of live my life in nostalgia. I, I yeah. love to reminisce and just kind of romantic at heart. Um, and then also she's kind of like, she doesn't take shit. You know, she's not like one of the go. other Disney princesses who are like, oh, help me. She's like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's like, listen, I don't need to be rescued. Like, maybe you need to be rescued from me, but I don't need to be rescued. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, and actually, I was like looking at this question. I'm like, man, I don't even know how I would like answer this question. But I think for me um the movie the so i'm a i'm sort i sort of have some like mexican dad energy um you know drinking coffee at five in the afternoon like that kind of thing but i think the most mexican dad thing about me is how much i love westerns and so for me the <laughs> fictional good. character i most identify with is the denzel washington character in uh the magnificent seven um he just knows what's up. He organizes the people. He says, whatever, you may not know how to how to fight. And that's fine. I'm going to I'm going to teach you based on what you have. And, and we're going to rise up and we're going to overthrow tyranny. And I'm never going to doubt for a second that this is possible. And, and, and I identify with that, not because I consistently do that, because it's like aspirational for me. Like that's the kind of that's the kind of presence I want to be in my community is one that is that just not perturbed and said, let's let's just let's pull who we are as a community and 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 make it happen. Um and I don't know what it is about Westerns and Mexican dads. Like we we just like live those. It's like the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, Jenny Medrano, I really, really, really appreciate you coming on today. Um, this has been a really dope conversation. How do folks find you? How do they support you? Um, and how do they learn more about, um, about holistic liberation? Yes, so I try to keep it super simple and all of my branding exists under my name. There you go, <laughs> so you that's smart. Jenny, yes, so you can search Jenny Medrano Coaching and uh, JennyMedranoCoaching.com is my website. Yep. Jenny Medrano Coaching on Instagram and on Facebook uh, and on TikTok if you're into that. <laughs> <laughs> Easy peasy, so, right? <laughs> yeah, so those are all the ways you can find me if you're interested in holistic liberation work. And another thing that is going to be coming up real soon here, summer 2021, I'm going to be offering a holistic liberation 101 and 201 class. And those are going to happen on a monthly basis. So I'm going to have uh, an event where you can register and we're going to do a little bit of vision mapping so you can kind of imagine your best life what it would look like if you're thriving if you're truly liberated a little bit of action planning and um, some deprogramming of these limited beliefs that are connected to internalized sexism and racism and that's going to be coaching specifically coaching and classes classes specifically for women and femmes of color and then also I'm doing uh, BIPOC-specific workshop series, uh, full-day retreats in person in Colorado, and um, just one-time workshops and consultation if, that, if you're interested in that for your community or organization. That's amazing. And uh, people can find all this information on your social media handles as well as at your website, JennyMedranoCoaching.com. Yeah. right? Yeah. That is all right. accurate. Cool. Well, let's get this going, y'all. And um, really appreciate you being here with me today, folks. Um, you can continue to follow content for the Habitually Disruptive Podcast by following Two Dope Teachers on uh, social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, and you can also reach out to me or to us for different ideas. So my name is Gerardo Munoz. This is Jenny Medrano. And we wish you a